0: Today's episode of the Gold Cast is sponsored by a question. Raymond, I have a question. I have a very dire question on a very dire episode of the Gold Cast. Are you ready? Oh
1: God. I don't I don't want to hear it, but I feel like you're gonna ask me anyways.
0: <laughs> All right, so here it is. The last decade saw the most triumphant, dominant sports decade the Bay Area has ever seen. Starting with the Super Bowl, ending with the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, those were losses, but two dynasties in the middle from the Giants and the Warriors. And now the 49ers go down in 2020. And before the season can even begin for the Golden State Warriors, Clay goes down again after already having the season from hell. There now, we lose Clay, and it feels like like hopes of another run this year have been greatly Greatly marred. So my question for you is if last season, I mean last decade, was the greatest sports season, the greatest sports era, are we now entering
1: the decade from hell? If we are, then I officially retire from the Goldcast tonight and will not consider a comeback until the year 2030. (laughs) It's been real, folks. It's been real. (laughs) Oh, man.
0: Well, Raymond, before you retire, why don't you let them know, where can they find us?
1: One last time, you can (laughs) follow us on Instagram at the Goldcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at the underscore Goldcast. And be sure to... Subscribe to us to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere that you uh, podcasts are found. We are syndicated, so be sure to like, subscribe, and comment, especially if you're on YouTube. Hit the little notification bell so you get notified when our new episodes go live onto the interwebs on the line, as we like to say here on the Goldcast. And be sure to join the discussion because it feeds the algorithm on YouTube. So please be a part of the discussion, especially if you have an opinion and want to share. It could be one word, could be 10 words, could be a mini essay. Let us know in the comments section.
0: All right, here we go. Absolutely. So today's episode is huge. And we are first. Our boy Max Marsh joins the episode and we have a discussion with him about These prospects that the 49ers are looking at, the potential backup quarterbacks and potential future quarterbacks for the San Francisco 49ers, then our boy, our main co-host, Candlestick Will, he joins us for a Warriors emergency podcast. This was going to originally just be a draft special. Let's look at the draft. Let's look at the guys we got. Let's have a conversation. And oh boy, did that quickly change with the stunning announcement that Clay Thompson, his Achilles, has been injured and he will not Which be put. Putting... Forced
1: to trade. <laughs> forced the Warriors yeah, to trade.
0: Yeah, forced a Warriors trade, and uh our entire season is now in jeopardy. So that that is the second part. But first, the greatest podcast intro in the game. And your professor, of fanalism. I'm in the building. The greatest fanalist in the game. He's here too. Class is in session. Let's go.
2: San Francisco, are you ready? I'm ready.
0: This is the Gold Cast. Best. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Susa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis the first, baby. And our special guest, our Chicago Bears diehard guest host, he's back. Our boy, Max Marsh, is in the building. What's up, buddy?
3: Hey, it's finally, we did it. I'm apparently 80 years old, so this is really good. We got here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we sure did, man. We did. Welcome to the show. Everyone can finally see your face. I love it. So, uh, let's get right to it, man. Uh, we were talking offline uh, with you about this. We wanted to bring you on the show as one of the few uh, who I consider college ex- college football experts, a guy who literally sits and watches tape all day long. And uh, the draft, I know, is of something of particular interest for you. And as you as you know, we're having a bit of an issue at quarterback in San Francisco. And it's not even necessarily a talent issue. It's a health issue. I mean, we can't even have Jimmy G unfortunately can't stay on the field long enough for, for even us for either to see what he evolves into or what he crashes and burns into and we're kind of really at this limbo state and right now there are two players that the 49ers are actively scouting and i want to talk about the first one and then ray's going to talk about the second one uh i want to talk about zach wilson from byu adam peters was at one of their games just a couple weeks back and john lynch has been really open that obviously, you know, Nick Mullins, Nick, they haven't said this, but Nick Mullins and C.J. Bethard simply aren't capable of carrying this team for even one game this year. Nick Mullins, I'm not sure what has happened with him, but he has regressed pretty intensely this season.
1: Um, but Not all his fault, but he has played bad.
0: <laughs> yes, not all his fault. Absolutely. That's absolutely, absolutely right. And... We clearly need somebody if Jimmy G's health issues continue. So let's start with just what are your opinions on Zach Wilson from BYU? What is it about this guy that you think attracts Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers to him?
3: Uh, number one thing I think that's perfect for Kyle Shanahan, specifically in this offense uh, itself, he's got the quickest release uh, in the in, in all of college football. Uh, like, unbelievably fast. He gets the ball out. He's Excellent at short-range throws, intermediate throws. He grew a lot in, uh, in deep throws. But he is very good at getting the ball out super quickly, which is exactly what you want in your type of run-the-ball, uh, you know, two-yard pass offense That's you know, keeps everybody on their toes and sort of, you know, keeps everybody dancing around. Uh, and he's grown a lot as a passer, uh, but consistently. So every year he's gotten better. He's not one of those guys that had, you know, a fall down. Uh, in the last couple of years, he's gotten better, and this year, you know, it's it's almost like he's the new uh, he's it's almost like he's the new Joe Burrow. Is how it feels. Wow. Okay.
0: Okay. All right, Raymond.
3: Well, that's a, Pass- that.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that. Actually, sounds really promising. Just because we do play Kyle Shanahan, just like his dad taught him, um, plays the West Coast style offense, where he really kind of dunks everything underneath, and then allows Debo Samuel's and Brandon Ayuk's and George Kittle's. To get to get all the other half of the other half or the or to get the score after that play, I mean I think the Niners led the 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 league in uh, yards after the catch last season. Not the case this year because everybody's missing. But um, that certainly sounds like it. And then quick release. Um, that's totally bread and butter West Coast style as well. Um, Jimmy G has a really good release. I really like his release. Um, so that's good to know. So the other, the other candidate that the Niners are looking at, um, Adam Peters, also took a look at the same weekend that he went to go see Zach Wilson, and that is a one Mac Jones, the quarterback for the Alabama um, program. What's your take on his skill set as it relates to the Kyle Shanahan offense?
3: Uh, uh, very similar in terms of what they do. It's why both of these quarterbacks, when we were talking, I was looking over all of the quarterbacks. Uh, looking over which guys I liked. And, and it came to my mind that both of these guys were the probably the best in terms of what their skill set is for what uh, Kyle Shanahan wants to do. Uh, I think that I, I think that what Mac Jones does really well is the short passes. He's another guy that this year took an enormous leap. Both of these guys are very much on the trajectory of a Joe Burrow, where the year before they were middling prospects, you know, maybe a day two pick, maybe day three. uh but then this year they've you know really sort of upped what they had, uh, and Mac Jones specifically, what's good? He's another short uh, passer. He's not nearly as athletic as uh, you know as as you would want, but it doesn't really make up for. Him. He's kind of a gunslinger, which I think is 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 intriguing, because uh, Jimmy G sometimes you know he'll make mistakes, uh, but they're not the fun kind of mistakes. They're you know you know he's not trying to you know force things into tiny windows. And Mac Jones does that pretty well. Not uh, not great outside of the pocket, but very comfortable in the pocket. My only fear with him is he's another guy that's had maybe nine games uh, played. It's, it's kind of a, you know, one and a half year uh, overall, like what he played because he took over for Tua last year after Tua got hurt. Played pretty well, actually. But his supporting cast is unbelievable. And sometimes it's really hard to gauge how good a quarterback in college is when all of their supporting cast is, he's got two receivers going in the first round, you know, and so it's really hard to gauge how good a quarterback is at throwing open guys, but he can anticipate very well, uh, which I think is just a comfort with the scheme itself, and it's a very similar scheme, it's a very pro-style scheme, which is something I feel like would would very much lead him to a level of success with Kyle Shanahan and a Niners type of offense, where it's very much, this is the way we're going to do it.
1: That's all right. Um, uh, I'm curious about the mobility. you mentioned athleticism that you know Zach Wilson is a little bit better than Mac Jones is. you know, speak speak on that a little bit more because I'd like to get a little bit more details on what the mobility is like because one thing that Jimmy G lacks is serious mobility. He likes to stand in the pocket and naturally because he sat and watched uh, um, Tom Brady his entire career before he came to San Francisco and that's exactly what Tom Brady does and he very much mirrors that. But it gets him into a lot of trouble because he wants to throw the ball, hangs in the pocket too long sometimes when a pocket collapses, and takes sacks when he doesn't need to take sacks, doesn't throw the ball away when he needs to throw the ball away, and can extend plays when he needs to get out of the pocket to get the ball downfield on those moments when he does want to throw the ball. So what kind of mobility do either of these quarterbacks offer that could possibly benefit uh, the Kyle Shanahan offense?
3: Yeah, and, and and that's the thing too because that's how I've always felt about shanahan's offense is I feel like it definitely works better and the west Coast offense itself always they, they, you never necessarily need you know very very athletic quarterbacks but you do need somebody that can make things happen when everything breaks down and you need a couple extra yards so you want to keep everybody honest because it keeps you know the defenders honest uh and 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 Wilson's really good with that he's not only is he great uh, uh, running the football. He's been one of the best uh, runners of the football at the quarterback position this year in college, which wasn't necessarily part of his game the the first couple years. He's he's always been athletic, but you know it wasn't this prevalent in his offense. He is playing against lower-level competition, which can be difficult at times, but his throwing outside of the pocket is one of his better characteristics, one of the better uh, skills that he has, and so I think that there's a difference, but the one thing that that I do think is important is the ability to lead a receiver, the ability to get a guy open uh, without having use athleticism. But with Wilson, I think that's why you'll see Wilson get taken over him. Some people are even saying he's, you know, might jump over Justin Fields as the number two quarterback, which could be the only thing throwing a wrench into the Niners getting him uh, is because he's so good outside of the pocket. He's super athletic, um, not a freak athlete like Trey Lance, uh, but he's, he absolutely can get it done. Uh, he just needs to bulk up a little bit to be able to take as much pain.
1: Gotcha. And then what about Mac Jones? You said he's a little bit less, He's he, he doesn't thrive outside the pocket as well as Wilson does. You know, I mean, obviously the picture that I have behind me kind of shows him, mob, you know, moving uh, outside the pocket, but what's your take on that overall
3: uh, part of his skill set? He's very comfortable in the pocket. He, he can move a little bit. He's not a statue. I, I looked over some quarterbacks that, you know, that was a, a huge mark on them was that they're, you know, they're a little too statuesque. And I, and I don't think you can have that anymore in the NFL. It doesn't work. You know, you can't have guys that are statues. Uh, and, and Mac Jones, to his credit, you know, can move. Uh, he's, he's a guy that can, you know, pick you up yards. I think a lot of it, he kind of, you know, he kind of has a little bit of the athleticism, which isn't necessarily a huge plus. But, you know, when Nick Foles was coming out, I wasn't a huge fan of his athleticism. He was very much a six-foot-six Giant man that felt like a statue, but he was somebody that more and more, especially in Chip Kelly's offense and and an offense that isn't the same as Shanahan's, but it's it's very similar in terms of the way that they want to get the ball out. They want to quickly deliver the ball out to places, and and when things don't develop, they want to make things happen. You know, he can move out of the pocket and is comfortable taking it. Uh, Mac Jones is a gamer, is what I'll say. One hundred percent, he's a guy that's going to give you a hundred percent. So he's not a guy that's afraid to move. He's just not as physically gifted at that uh so it's not necessarily something that you can mark down as a huge negative it's just not the plus that you want in the nfl today when we're seeing kyler murray and and lamar jackson and and you know even daniel jones and the quarterbacks that you know are are surprisingly athletic you know uh you you don't see a lot of guys like that anymore um that are that aren't runners uh but still he's not a difference maker he's not a playmaker i would say uh running the football
0: of the two, who would you say is the better of the two quarterbacks? Who do you who do you think fits the 49ers system
3: better? I, I, is it is it Wilson or Jones? I mean, it's hard to say who fits better. It, it depends on specifically what you guys are putting around your team, what you have around. Because realistically, with the type of offense you have, uh, if, if the offensive line is blocking well, you don't necessarily need a bunch of mobility. Um but with that said, I think the better prospect is uh, Wilson. Uh, I think that, there, that he just has a skill set um, that's unique. Uh, it's something you don't see a lot of uh, anymore. Um, you know, he, his, his, his ability to hit in windows and his quick release, I think, is the thing more than anything else that's impossible. There's no one that compares. As great as Trevor Lawrence is, his delivery isn't even as quick. He doesn't even get the ball out as fast which is rare to have maybe the best quarterback prospect of all time, not be better than one of these prospects in. So I feel like if he, for some reason falls, you're able to trade up. I feel, I feel like Wilson's definitely got to be the guy. The only fear is he did play against lower level competition. Um, and he's Mormon. So you don't know if he's going to be gone for two years on, um, on a mission. Uh, I don't think so, especially if he gets drafted in the first round, but, um, I I, I think it's a no-brainer between the two. I just have fears a little bit of Mac Jones being a system quarterback in an unbelievable offense and just knowing that offense super well. uh, He very much could be like most of the other non-TUA quarterbacks that played for Alabama that go on as really good, serviceable backups, uh, and that would be my only fear of him being taken as high as he could be taken. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, and so you alluded to that. You think Wilson's going to go
3: high. Where do you think Max Jones lands? Um, on the draft board, man. I, as uh, looking at all these quarterbacks and looking at the need of quarterback and how you know prevalent that is, especially in the NFL this year, how you can tell the teams that have good quarterback play versus teams that don't. I mean, you look at the NFC East; the best quarterbacks are going to win that division. You know, it, it, it's and, and you're and you're seeing you know the the slight quarterback edge is what's going to win that division, and you're seeing it all over the place. So I think you could see you you there's a very good chance you could see. Five quarterbacks taken in this first round, um, depending on what way teams go. Uh, Jones feels, Jones feels to me as though he's probably going to be a top fifteen pick, top twenty pick.
1: Okay, the Niners could end end up there, so that's not, he's not out of the equation if that's the case.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I, and I think that I think that the Niners are one of the teams that I'm looking at that that could be aiming for a quarterback. The Bears are one of those teams. It all depends on how the season unfolds. But uh, I, you're probably gonna see, you're probably gonna see three, if not four, quarterbacks taken in the top ten. Wow, wow,
1: Ooh. awesome. High man. demand, high demand. Yeah, absolutely. Raymond, do you have any more questions for Max here? No, that was it. So we have Wilson, who's probably gonna go top ten, probably top five, it seems like, and Mac Jones probably in the uh, the first fifteen, it seems. But the Niners are gonna have double digit losses this season, in my estimate. So there's still a good chance we get one of those quarterbacks if assuming that's who they want to stick with yeah
0: absolutely um but man max thank you so much for coming on to the show uh no, you, fire. It's always a pleasure i'm so bummed that we're not playing the bears this year cuz we we are we're, they're they're cheating us of our weird ass niners bear game that we usually get every year we're being cheated of it we've
3: been cheated of a couple seasons you've been playing the rams you're cheating on us with the rams right now i don't appreciate it I, I mean, and it would probably be the most 2020 game of all time. Let's be honest. <laughs> it would it would be a team destroyed with injuries versus a team that uh, can't do anything at all. <laughs> It'll be a lot of fun. A lot of fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. May, maybe the gods, those the, the sports gods, are are sparing us. Is what they're doing. They're like,
1: do you really do you really want to see Robbie Gold again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Robbie Gold kick t- 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 six field goals. Right. I, I exactly. do and
3: I do and don't at the same time right. <laughs> <laughs> very sore subject you guys know it. it's very mean Yes. absolutely
0: yeah. absolutely all right we're gonna be good jo- joining us next will be candlestick will on this what has become a warriors emergency podcast that is all coming up next uh max thank you so much bud and we'll see you soon thank you guys I appreciate it always great to be on thank all right gentlemen here we go this was originally going to be scheduled. We originally scheduled this as just our draft recap episode, and it quickly devolved into a Warriors emergency podcast, which is what this exactly has become. Uh, we, we went from a very hopeful Exciting season the return of the Splash Brothers the return of the Splash Brothers without the aid of KD and We've we've all wanted to see kind of this return Draymond like this original three nucleus back That you know the team that got us the the 73 wins a team that took us to the 2015 championship won that championship What can they do in a post KD era and now that has quickly faded away Uh, Clay Thompson announced today is uh, obviously has an injury to his Achilles and he is out for the season. This will basically mark two straight years that Clay Thompson has not been able to play. We've all got. Well, he
1: he played last year. He just got injured in the playoffs.
2: Well, no, that was the year before. Oh, it was twenty eighteen. Yeah, we've, oh, we, right. yeah, right. we've twenty nineteen, but we've had a we had a whole twenty twenty season. Yeah, for. yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how that. But it feels for Warriors fans. But the, l- the, Laker, the Lakers,
2: the Lakers, won, the Lakers won. So was it really a season? It, you know, you know. Plus, it
1: was a handicapped COVID season. It doesn't even really count. It's like you know, it's just to me, it's just as
2: illegitimate as the Dodgers win. I hate to say, it, I, were, I think it's they were both in they were both in bubbles. That bubbles don't. Count.
0: <laughs> I think it's more legitimate than the Dodgers' season because at least they played pretty. They were only like they were only like five or six games shy of a full season, and they they actually they actually their season ended in October, which is when it began the year before. So I'll I'll give the Lakers that one. I will concede that I will count their championship. The Dodgers have an interim championship. That is the interim
1: championship. You are
2: not the world champion. You are the interim champions. I will
1: give. They're they're the uh, the the stewards, if you will.
2: Yes. <laughs> One of my one of my favorite stats I saw that was it was just random, but the NBA season was long enough that the Yankees got eliminated from the playoffs twice. <laughs> that's actually
0: true. So that's that, actually
2: true. So that's just it, like just for the timeline of how wacky 2020's been. That's to me that's a that's a great way to describe how weird 2020's been. Absolutely, we're all rocking Clay Thompson behind us. I got to show you guys my
0: shirt because this one's badass. It's a comic script of him going. There we go, Clay. Uh, this headband, Clay is one of the best. It's Clays. one of the best Clays. So now here we are, guys. Um, we our season is in jeopardy. Uh, well, at least in jeopardy of being as successful as we thought it was going to be um, with the, with the Splash Brothers reunited. Uh, more importantly, Clay Thompson's career is in jeopardy and that's probably the most important part of this entire thing. And, uh, yeah, Ray, I'm going to start with you. Where are you at on all of this, uh, on, of all this news? And what do you feel this spells for the future of Clay Thompson and the Golden State Warriors?
1: Well, it certainly took away for me anyways, and also what it sounds like Bob Myers too. If you heard some of the interviews he's done, I listened to the one he did with Greg Papa in particular, and i just feel like a lot of the thunder out of any elation from the draft really got sucked out of the room with the clay thompson in injury it actually reminded me of demarcus cousins who's gone through you know a shitstorm of injuries since the first major one he had and it just seems like i feel clay is clearly on a similar path and i we all know for a fact that DeMarcus Cousins is not going to return to, quote unquote, boogie form when he's healthy. You know, he's technically a free agent. And, you know, I know he signed with the Lakers, but then injured himself in practice. So, uh, you know, his career is not going to be the same. And, and, you know, and he was still very much in a prime form when he took the first injury because he was playing alongside um, uh, Anthony uh, Davis. And, uh, and they, they had a great duo going on there. And Clay Thompson, I mean, basketball, if, whether it's football or basketball, you know, this is this is pretty significant. You know, he injured the, the left or the left MCL and now he's torn the right Achilles tendon. And as someone who's going through an Achilles tendon as we speak. Um, it is a long, arduous road. I'm sure he obviously he's going to have a tremendous medical advice and therapy going forward. He'll probably rec- recover sooner than I am. And I'm seven weeks deep into my my process. But, um, you know, the this affects, you know, Clay's a two way player and Clay's a two way player because his mobility is really good. And this is really going to you know, the, this is now both legs. So this is going to affect his lateral movement, his, his, his turning movement, you know, all of that is going to get affected and really kind of impair his ability. So I'm not sure which part of him will be, I feel like his defensive, his defensive skills are going to take a hit from this before his offensive skills, because his offensive skills is just him getting into position, catching and shooting majority of the time um, off the pick and roll or not. He's really good, you know, when he's his off ball movement is really good. But what makes him a great defender is his lateral movement. um, And that's really going to be missing. I mean, I could be wrong. He could be one of the rare exceptions that get past it. But to me, I feel like this is really going to impair his defensive abilities and just kind of really kind of put him on a downward trajectory for the rest of his career. And he was right in the middle of his prime. So candlestick. Well, I don't know how you feel, but that's kind of where I'm on the pessimistic side of this. And I really don't want to be.
2: Well, from the Warriors' you know, championship chances, it's, it feels like it's already over before it's even started. Now, that being said, you still have the best player in the world in Steph Curry, so th- there's still optimism that they can still have a good season and maybe even a great season. And once you're in the playoffs, it's just dependent on how healthy you are and, and how you play because the Warriors have proved with almost whoever they have um, whether it was 2013 and they were first getting in the playoffs all the way to 2019 with all their injuries against the Raptors, they still know how to win on the road. As long as Steph Curry's in the, on the floor, they still know how to you know, take series deep. They've never ever um, gotten swept or, you know, lost in five. They've always got at least six in every series that Steph Curry's ever played in. So they're going to have a good season if they stay healthy, but, if they stay healthy, feels like such a loaded sentence now because of all the injuries they've had in the last twelve months. It's not just Clay Thompson twice, but it's you know Steph Curry breaking his hand and and all the other injuries that they had. You know whether it was um, Iguodala, Livingston, you know, Kevin Durant, DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, come on, Looney. They've yeah, exactly. They've had so many injuries over the last uh, couple of years, and you know it's the toll that five seasons you know straight in the finals does to a team. It's the toll of just being a human being playing an elite sport, you know, guys get hurt all the time and injuries are always terrible and they always suck. Um, my biggest thing right now, like the first thing I thought of was that we we've lost now, we're going to lose now two of clay Thompson's prime years and we won't get to see him in his prime for two full years. And that's just terrible. It just, no matter what happens next, that, that just sucks. You know, you look at when you start looking at stats in sports and you look at like baseball stats and you see how you know Ted Williams and Willie Mays and some of these amazing players had all these incredible numbers and then you realize they were in the war for a few years and it's like man what would their home run totals be if they didn't have to go to war it's like this is kind of the same thing it's like right in the middle of his prime he loses two full seasons that's just you know the what he could have done on the floor and the other things he could have done is he hitting 15 threes in a game is he going for 40 and a quarter. I mean, the things he could do when he was at his best were incredible. The thing that Ray pointed out that I think is the most important going forward as far as Clay's future is will he still be or can he ever be again an elite two-way player? Because he probably will be able to be a great shooter no matter what. Like, no matter what happens with his recovery, he should be able to come back and still be a pretty damn good shooter. But when you look at some of the devastating injuries over time, whether it's a Penny Hardaway or a Grant Hill, DeMarcus Cousins like you brought up, Kevin Durant's going through right now with his Achilles, Kobe Bryant, you know, had the Achilles injury and he was never really the same player. You know, Kobe Bryant was still pretty damn good when he came back, but he was also one of the greatest players to ever play ever. So, you know, where Klay Thompson will be, he might still be damn good. Will he be maybe possibly the best two-way player in the league like he's been? For the last few years, I don't know. Because defense and his best assets, besides shooting, are his ability to never stop moving and his ability to stay with guys no matter who they are. Those last two things, I don't know if he'll be able to with you know the ACL and the Achilles and coming off of both of them. Now, he might be able to heal 100% from both, and I guarantee you the Warriors are not going to bring him back fast. Like If he's not ready for the following season, then he won't start opening night. Like there's no way they're rushing him back. They just, they've seen it with Durant and, and cousins where they, they look good and they felt good. And then, they, you know, they were in the middle of a playoff run. So they try to play him again. You know, Looney kept playing through injuries. You know, Curry's played hurt before when it's playoff time. It's like, we will wait until you are beyond a hundred percent. And then we'll start practicing you a little harder. And then maybe in a couple of weeks later, then we'll think about playing you. Like it's, it's going to be baby steps for him you know, in his return because they just can't afford for him not to be at 100%. And even with that, you don't guarantee anything because he was essentially 100% now. This injury doesn't necessarily mean that it had anything to do with his knee. Yeah, and it or wasn't even the same do- leg. <laughs> well, right. That's, what, that's my point, though, is that injuries happen because life just sucks that way. Like, injuries just happen. And so, you know, Clay Thompson was clearly not rushed back but he got hurt again. And so, you know, now it's, you lose two years of his prime and that's, that's the, the brutal part of the whole thing. And he was
1: really healthy before that. He was not, you know, Curry, Curry, Curry has a crazy injury history with those ankles and now the wrist and Clay Thompson was one of the more consistent of the big three. Draymond, Draymond was one of the the most durable in the whole league. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
2: Played almost every single game and didn't miss a playoff game until, until the, the very end there. Um, And, you know, somebody brought this up again, and, you know, the last game he played, which was game six in the 2019 finals, he was essentially having a perfect game. Like, the the numbers kind of bear out that, you know, he missed a couple of shots, but he was shooting, like, for the series, he was, like, 59% from three. He had missed, like, two threes, I think, in that game, but he was, like already four of six or it was it was his numbers were already like he was about to go on a clay third quarter for the ages like we had seen before a game you know, six clay <clears throat> yeah exactly and he was having he was probably having the best game six of his life right at that moment and everything we saw that would looked like mythical from him in, in, against the thunder and made him game six clay in the first place he was going to break that up. Like, he was going to make that game feel like, a, like, a, like an other game. And this Raptors game where he was going to bring them back from the dead and take them to a game seven. I mean, he was going to do that. Him and Curry were going to do that. So when he got hurt, it was just like, well, now what? And they still almost won that game, which is still kind of crazy when you really think about it. But, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking to lose a guy in his prime because you just – hate to see it and it and it would have, I'd feel the same way if it was someone on a team that I didn't even root for. It's like injuries are always garbage and you hate to see a guy go down for any reason, but especially a guy in the middle of his prime. Like if a guy gets hurt, you know, in his rookie year, it's heartbreaking if a guy gets hurt in his one of the last years of his career, but to lose one of your best ever seasons um which now he'll have two seasons like that, it's just it's unfair for so many reasons because it's it's Depri- it's depriving people of the joy of watching him play, and, and ultimately, it's depriving the player most first and foremost of of their best years. And you you always want to see a guy get to their peak, and we were seeing what Clay was going to do at his peak, um, and right when we got to see it, he goes down, and to go down again now, right before the season starts, is just you know gut wrenching.
0: Absolutely, it absolutely is. We don't have a whole lot of time left, guys, but I wanna I wanna touch on obviously a a couple more things. The big trade with Oklahoma City, uh, we we traded for forward Kelly Oubre Jr. Uh, I I do not follow OKC super closely, especially since everyone's been gone from them. But I know Candlestick Will, you're familiar with them. What does this move do for the Warriors? Where does this Where does this put us? Why Why Kelly Oubre Jr. And what obviously he is fulfilling a gap. Now that clay is gone. And what does he bring to the table for us?
2: Well, we desperately needed wings even with clay and we don't really have another wing on the team. You know, Damian Lee basically is our depth at that position. So we needed help there anyway. Um, now Kelly Oubre comes over and he'll start at the two. He's basically a three um, that'll play the two, which will actually be good for him and Curry. Cause you always want to have size next to Curry and have a guy who can guard other guards. But he's a, he's a good two-way player. He's nowhere nowhere in the area code of the shooter that clay is. And he's nowhere near the defender. But he's a good defender and he can shoot. He's not a great shooter at all. And I do think that in the Warrior system where he doesn't have to be the best shooter and the fact that Curry can get him some wide-open looks and Draymond can get him some wide-open looks, he's going to do better from three. I, I think if he can shoot at a decent clip from three, it'll make all the difference in the world but he's also going to be highly motivated because, you know, he was in Washington and Washington was a dysfunctional franchise at the time. So they, you know, they basically got rid of him because he wasn't you know, living up to expectations. He was kind of a, a young, young hothead kind of player, which 99% of young players are went to Phoenix where they didn't have anyone. And so he got to get minutes and he really took advantage of that time. Phoenix. And, and you talk to anyone in Phoenix and they're like, oh, man, we hate to see him go. But the Phoenix Suns, after going 8-0 in the bubble, got a chance to trade for Chris Paul. So you make that trade 10 times out of 10. So Kelly Oubre goes to the Thunder. Thunder are just looking to collect assets. So the Warriors call and say, look, we have this trade exception from the, the Andre Aguidala trade, so we can eat Kelly Oubre's contract. We'll give you a protected first-round pick for him. What the first-round pick is, it's the Warriors pick for, ne- from ne- for next year, but it's protected 1-20. through 20. So if the Warriors end up not being very good next year and don't make the playoffs, they get to keep the pick. If they're in the, if they make the playoffs and they are going to get the 21st pick or beyond, then the Thunder get the pick. So it, it's a win-win because all it took for the Thunder to say yes to a, a trade was give us a first-round pick and we'll and we'll give give you our, give you a good player. And the Warriors are saying, look, if we give that first-round pick up, it's not a big deal because we'll have been a playoff team. So it would have been worth it. Um, and then we're only giving up like the 20th pick or the, tw- or I should say the 21st pick. And so if that, if the Warriors end up not making the playoffs for any reason next year and they get and they um, are protected one through 20, then it's just some future second round picks. So the NBA trade's always weird because everything's always conditional. There's never like, you just get a third round pick. It's not like the NFL where you just, there's no ifs, ands or buts about it. So in the NBA, there's always conditions, but this condition makes a lot of sense for the Warriors because they're not giving—they're not going to give up a top 10 pick, right? There's no chance of them giving up a top 20 pick, actually. That's literally the the numbers. So if they end up, you know, in the playoffs next year, they'll lose their first-round pick, but it'll have been worth it. The last thing I'll say about Oubre, though, is that he's on the last year of his contract, and he's a young player. So he has all the motivation in the world to show he can be an elite 2-3, you know, um, in this league and be a good two-way player. So if he improves his shooting and he shows he can play defense against multiple guys, he's going to get a really nice contract. It might, it might be from the Warriors. They might decide that he fits better with Clay and, and, and Steph than Wiggins does or decides he's perfect for them off the bench. But he might be able to get starter money somewhere else, and you know that it's all on him now to take advantage of it. Because any guy in his position where he went from the Wizards to the Suns to the Thunder technically and then now the Warriors – you want to find a home. You know, D'Angelo Russell basically did the same thing. He was hopping to, you know, to three different teams, went to the Warriors hoping for, you know, some kind of permanency. And the Warriors were like, no, nah, you don't really fit with us. So he wanted to go to Minnesota where he felt like he could find a home. And that's all any, any player wants, right? So Oubre has a chance with this trade to get into a system where he could probably get starter minutes, which is going to be great for him. And then, once Clay is back, if, if if you know if Clay comes back and Ubrey's is still there, he's a perfect complement off the bench to be a, a a great you know kind of a two or a three, um, essentially replacing Clay in the lineup, which he'll now have experience of how to do for a year. So it's a smart move because it's the kind of player that has all the motivation in the world to try to fill those shoes, but he's not going to fill those shoes the same way. Like he will not be the defender that Clay was. He's certainly not the shooter is, but no one in the world is. So it's, it's going to be on the Warriors to look for other players to fill that void, find another guy out there who maybe is a great shooter, can't really defend, but can maybe replace some of the shooting that Clay did, those kind of things. But Ubre's for, for the options that were out there, it's about as, as good as they could have done with the trade exemption that they had. There you go. Well, there it is. Raymond, real quick before Boom, we run it,
0: any any thoughts on James Wiseman, our number one pick, or the second pick of the draft, but our number one pick this year?
1: Well, yeah, because we now have a much more promising, high-value center, and center's been the one position where we've kind of had a rotating committee year in and year out, even through the championship runs. We've always gotten someone new. You know, Looney's been the one constant there, but he was coming off of double hip surgery, but he's he's turned out pretty well and recovered nicely from that. But we're still—we were still missing kind of an elite center, and this kid, you know, looks to—at least from what everyone's saying— and. You know the skill set he looks like he can definitely become that and this is someone that's going to be able to start you know right away so he's going to be able to contribute to the team right away which is great to see and just going to see how he kind of fits into the screen you know he's he's going to be a guy that offers you know lob opportunities with his length i think he's going to be great we need a a bigger rim protector in the key there so that'll be nice to have Um, really compliment Draymond Green's defensive prowess. So it'll be really, really good to see that. And then, you know, it's the offense that's really got to improve on his end. I think defensively, he's gonna. That's kind of be the part of him that shines early on, and then as the season goes on, we're gonna see how his offense starts to grow and adapt with this in in the Steve Kerr system. But um, I'm excited for him just because you know we need we need an elite center, and he looks like he could be he could become that under the right tutelage, and if he's if he's got the drive and will to become that kind of player. Awesome, uh, Candlestick. Will any final thoughts
0: on James Wiseman before we go?
2: Well, you know, the the bottom line, I think, with any team building is that you want to bring in as much talent as you can. If they fit perfectly with the system, that's even better. If they fit, um, you know, the exact what, what you're looking for for a certain position, that's even better. But you just want to collect talent and let the talent play itself out. So, you know, they brought in Marquise Chris last year, who turned into be a pretty damn good player. Um, kind of from a you know from from the the garbage bin as it were if, you know obviously that's you know not true if you're an NBA player but he wasn't really getting much minutes anywhere and um, and so all of a sudden he finds a home with the Warriors and they could go into the season with just him as a center and and just give him a ton of minutes but you know iron sharpens iron so you have to add talent and add depth to create competition now you bring in a guy like Wiseman who you you might just give the starting job to but you've got he's got to face Marquise Chris in practice every day. And Chris worked his butt off last year to get those minutes. He's not going to just let some kid come in and take him. So you, you give yourself a chance to have a couple of guys who are, who are kind of perfect for that role of being able to come in the younger versions of JaVale McGee that have more skill sets. Um, certainly Wiseman's the better defender. Chris is a little bit more polished offensive game, but the bottom line is, is that, both of those guys are going to want those minutes and they're going to might have to share those minutes if the Warriors are, are, get what they want, which is to find another big that's a veteran. So, you know, I don't think the guys like Marcus soul and Serge Ibaka and, and Paul Millsap, some of the veteran bigs that are out there are going to choose the Warriors because of the clay injury. I think they're going to find another team that might be a little bit closer. One of them might pick the Lakers. One of them might pick some of the other teams like the Clippers and, and, and things like that. So we might've lost out on some of those guys, but that's going to end up being a good thing for Wiseman and Chris in that they'll have more chances for minutes. Um, the, the other part, just real sh- quick, shout out to Nick Mannion, who they got in the second round. He's a guy who's going to be able to compete with Kai Bowman for, for a backup position at, at point guard. I don't expect him to make the team. He probably is going to be more of a two way player, but it just gives them some depth so that they don't have to rely on Kai Bowman. They don't have to rely on Jordan Poole to have to be a point guard. It gives him somebody else that can compete for that spot. Again, you know, you see this with the San Francisco Giants where they made a lot of mo- like little minor moves, but all those minor moves gave them more depth and more places that made the whole team a little bit better. So that's what Wiseman and Mannion are going to be. And they were both guys that were top prospects at one time in college. So you're just bringing in two talented players and you're adding them to your group. Because last year they had a lot of grinders, guys like Bowman and Damian Lee who – could just grind out minutes, and they, were, they earned those minutes. Toscano Anderson was another guy who just came in and found a way to get minutes. But those guys aren't consistent NBA players yet. They just aren't. So if you had to give them 15, 20 minutes next year, that's showing that your team's not ready for the playoffs. So if you can add talent, it forces those guys to pick their game up. And so Oubre is going to make it a lot harder for Damian Lee to get minutes. That's a good thing. You know, Guys like Wiseman are going to make it a lot harder for Chris to get minutes. That's a good thing. And even someone like Mannion who might challenge a guy like Bowman for a roster spot, that's going to be good. Cause one of those guys are going to get better because of it. And maybe both will, but it's going to help the team build their depth a little bit more because they really don't have much depth at all. Still, they're still so in, in need for some other veterans that can come in. So whether that's an Alec Burks or a Glenn Robinson, the third coming back, or whether that's, you know, going out and finding some free agents that are available, they're going to get 9 million basically from the clay Thompson injury that they'll be able to use towards a player, um, ideally someone like a PJ Tucker if the Rockets decide to implode, um, but somebody that's can make that makes up to that much money they can bring in on on that. They already basically used most of their seventeen million dollar trade exemption from the Adalet trade um, on uh, Ubre, so then they all they have really left is a mid level exception, and they'd hope to give that to, you know, a Gallinari or a Gasol or an Ibaka, someone like that. But again, those guys because of the clay injury might not choose the Warriors now because they might want to find a team that has a more direct path to the to, to the playoffs and, and to the promised land.
0: Well, and let's not forget, of course, guys, there's still Andrew Wiggins. He's still on the team, and so it looks like we might not be trading him. He might end up being a big contributor. Who knows? We all know Bob Myers has already said the Warriors are far from done making moves, so hopefully expect to see a couple other hopefully splashier, sexier moves to try and maintain this. But we will be back next week. Uh continuing back, you know, back to our 49er news, obviously, as we head back in to the regular season. But, of course, anything big happening with Warriors or Giants, we will be here to talk about it. And so concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the Voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III. And with me is my brother, my co-host.
1: Raymond Solis, the First, baby. And our Shout esteemed out
0: to Clay.
2: co-host. Wait a minute. <laughs> Candle. Stick. <laughs>
0: boom you got it we'll see you next time same gold cast time same gold cast channel
2: this is is the gold cast